which is why i'm so glad roman's got that whole you know bulletproof vest arm to the teeth mentality that he's been pushing around for so long he's got those two spiraling nightsticks which he's he's like uh he's like he'll wear camo pants with lots of pouches and then like no shirt but two crossed like bullet thing yeah yeah, yeah. he's got these big machine guns he's like arnold schwarzenegger or the guy from simpsons that's like supposed to be arnold schwarzenegger it's amazing to me how someone can seem so wonderful and personal nice and also be like such a war criminal such a war criminal (laughs) frankly like such a shirtless syrupy chested war criminal so yeah he makes it look good though oh god does he nobody's gonna tread on me Episode 69, nice. Uh, nice. I don't get it. <laughs> Where every week we talk about an issue Brother. of Batman written by Grant Morrison. We're now in this like weekly version of it in the final march this last like 12 issues or so so it's like it's the weekly podcast where we do a weekly issue by issue read through if we had done it this way everyone would be a lot saner to begin with um but who knows if anyone would be listening <laughs> we needed to do something i would if we were doing this once a week to begin with i feel like we'd be it, barely in volume two at this point i feel like we would have caved and just been like ah fuck it i can't i can't do this every week now that the world is gone no i liked I our buckshot Oh, yeah. No, that rapid pace at the beginning was absolutely incredible. I'm Jeff. I'm Roman. I'm Justin. And we're going to put the final coffin nail oh. in Matches Malone, right? I don't know. Cigarettes, coffin uh, nail. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a joke there. That's good. Uh, this issue, not a whole ton of subtlety to mine out. It's like one of those amazing, you know, like The Raid, which I didn't oh, see. Yeah. That was the movie okay. that I didn't see, um, but all of those or movies were described as night issue. Yeah, yeah, all of these amazing sort of closed room action sequence yeah. stories. Thank those. you, I thank you all morning. I've been trying to remember the name of that movie, The Raid, and I kept on thinking Rage. No, that was a Nicolas Cage movie. What the heck was that movie? Did you see it? <laughs> yeah, I never yeah, I even saw it. I saw it at the Pickford, I think. Ooh. Yeah, it was a, it was amazing. My internet connection is unstable. I'm sorry. Speaking well, of the raid, if we lose, if we lose Justin, just know I, that he's never spiritually further than a couple no, thoughts away. No, he's not. And I think the whole internet has been unstable for a long time. <laughs> yeah, burn it down. I like to think of my life as a closed room action sequence. Like anytime <laughs> I try to approach the day, it's like which levels I have to get up, who I need to take out. You know, everything is a combat simulation. Wow, Justin, that's I love that metaphor because that's what your life is, just trying to adjust the levels. Oh. As a guy who edits a lot of podcasts, my whole life is just trying to adjust the levels <laughs> as well. Hey, I don't I don't condone the use of drugs. Um, I think everyone goes through a phase in their life. Some people spend a short time in it, some people spend a long time in it. But what I remember is that I read this issue for the first time on acid. <laughs> Whoa. And wow. that that is what happened with my friend Nick Wankowski at that time. Before I was working at the shop, this came out, got it. We took some acid, hung out at the house. I read this two times, and then I played uh Borderlands, and it was oh very difficult. God. All of these were so 
but I, and then another story about this is this issue. I remember being so enamored by the art that I used to spend, I spent probably like a month flirting with the idea of buying one of these pages. And there was Ooh. two specific pages that I wanted to buy that were on this website. I and really want a Burnham page. Yeah. The the one that I almost got was the one with the hood where he's shooting the arrow and it's like a perspective shot arrow. But the panel so at the bottom of the page is just this like perfect comic booking, like shoots the arrow. It breaks the chandelier. It like mm-hmm. goes to the right, causes the explosion. Like people are like, you can read it from the left to the right on the top arc and then go back to the left from the bottom. And it's just like, like yeah. chef's kiss comic booking. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, this is this this issue. I know that we just keep saying it, but this issue is is like a crown jewel in the Burnham art <laughs> crown. Yeah. What what was what was the other page you were thinking of buying? The, oh, the other one was the one right next to it, the Gaucho one. I was just really oh. into these perspective shots with like the blurred line. I went oh. online to see if that website last night still had any of these pages. They don't have the hood one. But the Gaucho one is still available, <laughs> and a, and a couple others from this uh, issue. Mm. There's Boy, one. That... Oh, sorry, Roman. No, go ahead. I've almost bought, and I'm sure it will be. It, it might not even be there. I checked in like December, but the issue seven, like Man of Bats kicking down the door, uh-huh. that page is available, and I've like almost bought it multiple times. I'm just always a little bit too broke to spend. Justin, I bought that for us last night. Oh, you did? Yeah. That's crazy. What a weird coincidence. Yeah. I was wanting to surprise you guys, but I that verbal reference of it oh too my much. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to spoil no, it. I just I, like I had out to, my ass. I just like that episode of the podcast, I think the one I'm most proud of. And uh and just like the conversation the three of us had, and I just wanted to get it and hanging in the comic shop really bad. But then That's just the fact that we awesome. all we all talked about that specific image for so long um and like the kicking of the door and everything that i i was just like no i'm just gonna buy it like we need to have a like well, i i was like this is just a present for the for us quarantine folks to hang um in a frame now that collectively we're all, when, thank when, you when we've done it yeah i i mean i just want us to have a thing where we can hang it in a public <sighs> space and all look at it together yeah that's <laughs> i mean it's a perfect page that is like one of my now especially after getting the gift of talking to you guys about it like i love that issue for a thousand billion different reasons, but now there's a special significance of kind of my favorite episode of the of the show and maybe one of my favorite issues of a comic book of all time. The fact that we were all like, this is like the best issue of this run so far. And then the art, it's like, I really think it's kind of once Burnham kicks it up really yeah. high. And, and then, yeah, I just thought that in five or six years, when we think back on Batman and Quarantine, I want there to be a tangible thing that we can look at and say like, I remember that episode that day. I remember talking about that specific panel and uh and just like yeah, how close that conversation topic was to all of our hearts. Um for sure. The top of that page, or something certain you've looked at now, is like just such a gritty shot of a reservation and a home. And yeah. anyway, Justin, I should not be surprised at how common our brain thought waves are <laughs> yeah. always. It was but, in the uh, ether for sure. When it when it happens, I'm always like Damn, Justin and I are twin flames. And Rose just caught in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's a good thing he's got two holes. Um, He's got a lot more than two holes. He's got a lot more than two. Um, Gosh. 
God, so we where were we? Yeah, we start this issue <laughs> with Talia having some biblical uh, quotes. I love it. Some biblical quotes, but this is just the follow-up matches Malone getting beaten up. He blows the room up. And then the the crew of secretly dead heroes, the people that they have been pretending have been dead so Leviathan didn't know are the ones that all show up. And then it becomes Batman Incorporated versus 30 people from the League Assassins in a locked building. And it is just cool. some of the best um, <laughs> panel by panel storytelling and just like visual storytelling I you know I've seen. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's an amazing Amazing. And I didn't have, uh, I wish I had read this yesterday so I could have uh, done some research and find out which of the, any, if how many of these 30 villains from the League of Assassins are ones that we've seen before and how many are Morrison creations. Because some of them are. Like I saw uh, the hook is in here. He's the guy at the, the hook prosthetic. He's the guy that killed Boston Brand. Yeah, and there's the there's Shriek, which is the assassin that they kind of tried to make Nightwing's big kind of end all be all like rivalish oh. Joker esque villain in the Nightwing run of the '90s, and it just like never took. And then they brought him back, and they kind of made him dumber and less serious, and he was just like a mercenary. But I really tried to like the Shriek, and I'm like, this is not a good. <laughs> I'm trying to buy in. And, yeah, to... but he was there, and I was like, ah, I know that guy. I've seen that guy's ass kicked before. Um, I love I love that we've got characters like that, but no one ever says they're no one ever makes a reference to them. They're just there getting beat up. It's, right. It's, it's so cool because you know in some way comics they'd be like a a, a big caption with their name and their logo on, like next to their next to them. Right. <laughs> the I, the DC Wiki has a list of the League of Assassins that show up. It's Sinsu, oh. Iron Aaron, Abramowitz, oh, that's fucking cool. Kitty Kumbata, Mad Dog, Professor Ojo, Seven Men of Death, which is the Detonator, Hook, Maduvu, Merlin, Razorburn, Shellcase, Whip, and a Shrike and Sportsmaster. <laughs> oh yeah, there is Sportsmaster. Sportsmaster's there. Well, I didn't see him. I wonder if Shrike is a reference to the Dan Simmons Hyperion trilogy. Maybe the Shrike is like that. Yeah, the Shrike is terrifying. Yeah. I love the first book of Hyperion. Oh wow, I don't know that. A Shrike is a kind of bird. Oh, okay. Roman, well, that's, yeah, that's that probably the original sense. reference. Then, yeah, <laughs> Roman, you yeah. would fucking love the Hyperion. At least the, I've only read the first one, but it's like yeah, a big reference to Keats, like and... in Canterbury Tales, right? Like, kind of, it's a bunch of people sitting around at an impasse, all telling this story of the shrike and they're they're getting or maybe that's the second or third one in the series they're like on a ship and it's telling them going to that planet mm-hmm. and like that priest that horrible thing happens to that priest and then yeah you eventually get to the point where they like meet the shrike and all the temporal shit happens and it's crazy and wow i had a buddy yeah. who was very into them growing up you would like them Roman. okay i'll, I'll have to look them up i haven't heard of these dan simmons I think I've heard of him. Yeah, he, yeah. he does like sci-fi stuff and then also kind of like classical English stuff as well. He's yeah. He yeah. seems Those... like a Roman, like he lives in Roman's anus. Yeah, in his dry, <laughs> dry anus. Um, but he's got a dude wipe to get through it. So yeah, the whole thing is like based around slash a love letter to Keats. Oh, wow. uh, I never knew the tenuous connection, but I know Dan Simmons has said that and is like super into Keats. I don't know anything about Keats. So I don't I either. Like, I'm going to pretend to and enjoy this book on a different level, but, but isn't it's there just an, a good book. Isn't it like K-E-A? Like it's, yeah, there's yeah, an A yeah. in there that I wouldn't think would be there. So I'm yeah. very into that. Yeah. Yeah. There's an old, like 
English literature joke, if you want to call it that, about Keats and Yates because they each have their names are spelled no. the, the the way their names are spelled. You would think it'd be the opposite pronunciation of what it is. <laughs> uh, it's like the hipsters before they were hipsters. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we Justin, get into, do you gotta get you have you you had a thought, right? Is that what we're about to hear? Oh no, I have. Well, I have okay. two thoughts. I'm two ex- primary thoughts. I'm excited to hear about a thought that you had while reading this that I, I don't know what it is. Okay, God. Now there's three. But oh, yeah. Write them down the one, so you don't forget. And I got them here. Okay. The two of them will get here, and the, the last one has to come in at the end because okay. that's like when it. the moment happened. But A, again, part panel two, page one, panel two, the rain on the outside sliding down of the window that uh, Leviathan is standing at looking at the theater. Burnham does great rain. I love rain in comics. That just like rippling effect from the other perspective is just like a needless thing that doesn't need to be there but it's very realistic and cool but i've made a proto joke of this before but like they have to just like make a museum and like have the citywide protection of the mon like why is it still abandoned because everyone goes into the monarch theater or does something in the monarch like they have to say like no this is protected by the gotham city limits and no one's allowed in there at any time because the joker has done it I, I don't think Leviathan's in it, but they're across the street. Like everyone does something in the Monarch Theater. They have to say like, whatever it is about this theater, no more. Cause that everybody... shit happens here. Right. In the Arkham games, that's when Joker does his thing in the end of the first one and quote unquote dies. Like it's just like such a commonly used thing. The citizens of Gotham have to know, like, don't, don't go there. Yeah. So, and like, yeah. Yeah. It makes you wonder, did Bruce Wayne like buy it? So it could never be, develop because a city like gotham it's right. so it's like new york it's so crowded why hasn't it been like torn down and redeveloped and built on and, well it's looking right. so fashionable here my it look, thought has good. to be at some point bruce did buy it and like made it nice again or something like is he the one that's like no it's a nice place we got to protect it and it's, like, <laughs> yeah. bruce, it's perfect keep getting fucked up here because of what happened to you <laughs> just let us close it down <laughs> no no it's perfect we, we have to watch a movie it only plays zorro it's the last place i hung out with my parents just leave me alone and we're always playing so like bruce loves zorro he does i wonder why although i wonder if he would keep it a secret because i guess the public world knows that his parents died in crime alley mm-hmm. like he could yeah. maybe be like no it's the last you know, like you know like the waynes famously died maybe you know maybe that's not a secret either way people need to not go there i'm just trying to think about <laughs> would people be like bruce why you care so much about the thing but there's just got to be some amount of public consciousness that, like, for some reason, villains go in there and do bad <laughs> shit. We got to just, like, take that building off the map or preserve it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, okay, you had another one. Oh, uh, well, no. The, the two, the one was Rain, um, which is a one-off. Two is that one. And then three will be when we get closer to the okay. end at the okay. reveal. On the topic of just, like, Rain, it took me a minute to understand you know a little bit later in this issue after the you know the crew of dead heroes or whatever blows up part of a building alfred projects the bat signal on the smoke of that building and the sing it's probably halfway through the issue in the bottom right corner it's it's as bruce is kind of taking off his matches outfit but it's just i didn't know if it was supposed to be like a camera shot of a building with the bat signal projected on it and the camera is supposed to be like wet and it can't focus but oh. I think it's like projected on smoke, but just whatever effect is happening there, I've never seen that in comics. And it is it's so cool. This is just 
you know, one of, I, I think this issue came out to me at the height of me being like, look what you can do <laughs> with comics. Like the person I read it with was sort of a, you know, as my friend Nick, who I love, but he has a, you know, especially earlier on, like a strict sort of like power levels and here's how these things should go and linearity of rules. Things. And I, yeah. And I like was just sort of like the thing about comics that's cool is that they ain't no rules. But then these, the shots of like wingman jumping across the staircase of like with so the cool. several images or like the things coming out of you, like out at you, like the arrow and the gaucho balls, like, or that cloud. <laughs> like, I just remember being like really like, Burnham is experimenting with the possibility that comics hold more than any book I was reading at this time. And it was the first time I'd had those thoughts. So it was For just, sure. it was really, you know, the, there's some moments in here that also I was on acid. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this book is like the art is like, you know, kind of mind blowing without acid. I can't imagine what it's like when you have heightened perception. Yeah. Yeah, There's I just less imagine. of a narrative to follow. You're like, damn, look at these pictures. <laughs> yeah, like that panel at the top of that page where uh, Gaucho throws his throws his bolos and they're com- and they're coming at you. They're called Gaucho balls. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so great how that draws your because that drew my attention. I was like, wait, how come the chandelier fell down? Did his did his bolo do that? And it made me look back at the previous page. like, oh, that was the hood. Cool. To that whole sequence that Jeff was describing. A single panel of the hood shooting that chandelier down, like, is, you know, that was really the setting in of just, like, embedding multiple images in a single panel to show the progression of time. Like, it doesn't have to be separated by panels to do that. Like, that was a light bulb moment for me. There's such a cool... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just probably going to say the same thing. It's such a cool... Because... Because it can, I mean, the way it, the motion in it, the way it continues, the, like the motion of the motorcycle, it's also the panel where the motorcycle crashes into the base of the stairs from like four panels before that. <laughs> it's such a cool way to show like multiple goings-ons in a single moment and like the cascading of like physics. Like he, the chandelier falls down, he throws the... Uh, the gaucho balls that guy it like wraps his hand so he shoots in the wrong direction like he hits it the guy's <laughs> shooting and he gets it at such oh. a time that it shoots his homie and then that arrow goes or then yeah merlin shoots an arrow into him like there's so many things going on at the same time and it's such a cool way to convey that yeah and i love the fact that during all this this fighting that well that hood and uh, uh gaucho are doing right here there's still hood is still like bringing up his his <laughs> his prejudice against gaucho and it's great that gaucho's like you know you're the only one bringing up this problem between our nations yeah <laughs> i'm not doing it the i just to iron home i think uh i think a. I don't want to say necessarily well i'm inclined to say lesser but maybe a lesser or just a more commonplace depiction of that panel with the hood shooting the arrow and the motorcycle blowing up there would have been lines like that whole thing would have been divided into thirds to show that like the arrow is moving and here's like one panel but like it would be still be the same image with just two gullies uh between just Mm -hmm. to show the passage and i like when you don't have to do that like you can just show a thing like a person five times to show them flipping and you don't need to separate the panels to show that thing is moving forward if that makes sense like yeah there's not a strict way that time has to move in comic books and i just love like in that long shot where hood is firing the arrows we see like across the room 
would that be east where the person with the shurikens and the gun like gaucho is in the confrontation with the two people the one guy that looks like a mime and then like across the room is the are those two people and then when he throws his gaucho balls and wraps the guy up and he shoots his shuriken buddy like that's across the room it's at a different it's not just like linearly behind him it's like there's dimensionality to that and that's just such a cool way to he had this like battle scene completely played out in his head it's so fucking cool you know you're totally right it's every step of it along the way seems like it was plotted there is no just like i don't know we'll shoot somebody in this panel to get rid of this guy it's like every action seems to have fallout in a subsequent panel right it's like a cacophony it's fucking cool yeah he was really thinking about where everybody in the room is moving and where they would be like in the next panel in the next panel (laughs) and i like when gaucho's the arrow goes through gaucho's gaucho's arm it's poking at his heart like that's how oh, good yeah. a shot merlin is is like oh, gaucho, like it's poking good. like he was yeah, going it's for even a pushing shed. it's pushing on it that's brilliant yeah it is it's fucking yeah, so, crazy <laughs> that is awesome because yeah merlin is supposed to be one of the best archers in the dcu yeah if not like you know he's touted as like one of the deadliest assassins even though like every assassin in the dcu is the most deadly assassin but he was once a big deal you know on that next page it's of the the red wing you know shooting in there there's like some dead people seemingly on the ground but there's like a dog and i was like did damien kill a dog and he's got like blood on his glove that i didn't realize on the first time but then i love later on he's like i beat a dog unconscious and i was like oh thank god like yeah i, I don't know you can kill some assassins but i like a dog Damien, yeah, yeah. Don't go killing dogs <laughs> yeah you're, if you're a dog killer then you're kind of unforgivable and right. i think at humanity's book um I feel bad for Gaucho, man. He gets fucked up. Like, he's gotten things thrown through his neck. He's almost been poisoned by his former lover. Uh, You know, he's uh, got an uh, arrow through his arm and almost his heart. Gaucho just, he's like a a punching bag. Yeah. Yeah. But if, and it, and it's funny because it kind of fits that, you know, the stereotype of that, that uh, machismo. I right mean, for sure I mean, he just fucking wades through all this crap and takes all this punishment right <laughs> kind of like reminds me of hellboy who just gets his yeah. ass beat repeatedly <laughs> but he still keeps going the the shot where um or merlin says buffoons finish them just across the page from the red wing kind of shooting the gun and beating up the dog um as the hood and gaucho start beating these people up there is one person there who's got like a metal x on their head <laughs> and apparently that's one of two overt references burnham has made to characters from fists of the north star in oh. the anime and apparently that wow. guy in the anime he has to like keep a cage around his head or his head blows up i've never watched Fist of the north star <laughs> no, like i that. only know of it it's just like the you know it growing up because you're like this is the most violent anime apparently um, yeah oh, so wow. apparently i, I remember the comics <laughs> oh yeah but i like uh that character and then in that same shot the hood is like beating somebody up there's a guy with a cob piece with like a bunch of studs on it that once again looks like that reference to that sean connery <laughs> <laughs> the sean connery movie where he's in that like weird oh zardoz zardoz isn't there a bunch of like gems on his cod piece or something like that i think so i, God, I, I don't remember i think about <laughs> that outfit a lot I imagine that Django just has hair on his shoulders, just yeah. like very hairy shoulders, and this guy's got kind of a Django thing, like beard going on. If you gave Django venom, that's what he would look like. <laughs> the other very tempting page that was still available for sale from this run um, is the is the page of the wing 
or sorry, wingman walking forward and Merlin about to shoot and then getting shot through the hand. So cool. And I just love, like, even while I was reading this before I got online to look at pages, like that page, just like the middle portion of it with Merlin's shadow being cast on the wall. Like there is so much atmosphere in this. Oh like, yeah, because that's the fire like lighting that shot. Yeah. So good. It's amazing. It's and then just like the power walk of Wingman there. Uh, uh, I love it. He's a stud. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the fact when the close up the arrow goes through his hand, his bow hand. It also goes through his bow. Mm-hmm. So fucks up his, his bow, his bow hand and his bow. It's like man, that's pretty pretty insulting for an archer <laughs> dang it and it just like red wing damien he's such a tactician he's been trained so well that these guys are lower classmen to him you know yeah. like he yeah. knows like i'm gonna take his bow out and his hand and that's such a snarky little damien thing like i'm not just gonna disarm you and get you out of the situation i'm gonna fuck you up for life like you'll <laughs> never is. really shoot a bow again do you think he knows all of these people from the league of assassin do I think, think he's, he's got to be familiar with at least Merlin. Okay. Yeah. And my weird hypothesization about his yeah. life. Well, yeah, because he grew up. I mean, he must have seen or met most of these guys growing up. So it's his you mom. Is, yeah. And Merlin worked for Ra's al Ghul in comics, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like, I think at one point he was one of his buddies. And wasn't he in well, that's what the league Return of Ra's al Ghul's? Return I of Ra's al Ghul's? So. Oh, I, think I would so. believe it. Yeah. yeah. I read that a couple of these people made a bit appearances in there. Yeah, because doesn't Talia and, and Roz before her, aren't they in charge of the League of Assassins? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Got that gorgeous smoke shot of the bat signal, which is, I would love to just see what that looks like as a penciled inked page. It really reminds me of like the cover art of Series of Unfortunate Events with all that cross hatching or cross yeah, yeah, yeah. cross hatching. It reminds me of that. Like it, everything was very textured on those books, and I yeah, love even it. down to like the torn pages on the side. Mm. Like things didn't yeah. fit. In, yeah, talk about a reference that only like, you know, a six-year span of elementary school students were reading. Yeah, <laughs> I never understood those books. I'm like, why is it? Why are we like into this being kind of sad and unfortunate? It's sad and dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the little masochists. That's how you spot them at an early age. Right. Is if they really love those books. We get some Tim Drake certainly wearing his new 52 Red Robin outfit, for better or worse here. Poor Tim Drake. Poor, poor, poor Tim, Tim Drake. Drake. I don't know. Rename him. Change his costume. I don't know. We yeah. got to do something. Make him the him. duck. Just uh, <laughs> just let Morrison write a Tim Drake series. It'll, it'll come out amazing. Okay. I just have to go a page back because yeah. one of my favorite parts of this book is when we see, and it has another like play out later in the issue, they address it, Wingman and Redbird both taking out these two guys working together like wingman's kick is going to one guy's head mm-hmm. redbird is pulling his hand down to disarm him like oh doing yeah like you're a classic right judo yeah. move i didn't see the and hands then, and then kicking the other dude in the spine as red uh, wingman is like disabling him there's such a synergy into how they work and they're both very brutal in their fighting style and just like the contortion of both just from like a art perspective the contortion of them fighting that guy has broke some vertebrae damien is and the arm fucking is, that guy the bone is bursting out of the arm oh sure it is it's there's a little bit of bone popping up out there and blood coming out oh yeah 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 so justin in this issue there's a spoiler we're gonna spoil it the reveal is that wingman is jason todd which is right. awesome and i love it and that shot of him taking off the mask with all the floppy skin <laughs> oh, yeah. is, is great but do you think that this them working together is a statement more about what 
being trained as a Robin kind of does to your fighting style. So they have this thing in common because they're both Robins, Robins, or is it speaking more to like, there is a sort of, you know, not necessarily spiritual, but personality or deep connection between Jason Todd and Damien. So it makes sense that their fighting styles would be similar. What is your read on that? That's, that was my read of it. The Robin training thing is also super logical and probably what they implied, but I felt like, they're both propensity to be a little too brutal and to take their, you know, Batman fights to pacify and sometimes he gets a little brutal, but these, these guys are like inflicting pain and there's like in martial arts, a huge difference between the two. And these two are like, yeah, they're kind of kindred souls. They can't control their anger. They both have a propensity to take the law into their own hands. And so I think that they're, and I think, in my read that Robin is red bird is kind of significant to the red hood. And like, there's just oh, this okay. deep, you know, they, they're very similar in the ways that they, they kind of both deviate from Batman's teachings. And later on when Bruce rebukes Damien, he kind of makes a comment to like, notice how much you're like him. Right. And I don't know if that's like, you're trained by him because you're trained by me or you're both have a propensity towards violence, you know? And yeah. that's like, we're trying to educate Damien out of that. And he couldn't educate it out of Jason unfortunately because he got real killed and i would be pretty angry if i got beat up by a crowbar and then blown (laughs) and then brought back to life i really like the i mean because i think my my first read of that was just like damien you're such a jerk why can't you just be like teamworking look how well you teamwork with this person instead of resenting them because you made us look like fools um but i like you know your your explanation for it really just kind of highlighted to me that i love how much morrison set up for Damien to be able to have a relationship with all three of the Robins and learn something from them. And I'm not for sure exactly like pinpoint, you know, maybe how that is true for Tim Drake and Damien, but just this, like, you know, Dick is kind of the first person that he's able to kind of respect and have as a leader. The second, like Jason Todd, if he could do that, there's so much similarity in terms of the baggage that they have to overcome. And I think Tim Drake, you know, there's probably, probably some stuff that'll maybe strengthen that hypothesis further on but i i I do really like this there's no casual nature to these characters dancing around one another like i think it's written in that damien has a lot to learn from each of these robins because the robin you know it's a brotherhood yeah and i think that this is this book as much as it's about bruce it's kind of uh like a coming in like a is it like a bloodstream blunder roman like the coming of age tale mm-hmm. like the classic like you see damien really struggling with his violent tendencies and that's like he attacked tim and beat tim up and threw a de- decapitated head with a grenade in it at tim and we're watching this like struggle of parenting ultimately and you know dick got close to damien and almost forged enough of an empathetic connection to get him to kind of stay that brute like stay his hand and make him less brutal but we're seeing you know we see flashes to the future of damien being a kill a batman who kills or gets pretty close to it so i think a lot of this narrative is we're following we're kind of from damien's perspective trying to see how bruce parents into him and how a parent deals with a violent child and how you try to educate him out of it it reminds me of that movie looper yeah. Where like that kid's gonna grow up to be this evil mob boss that causes everything, but they believe like if we can change things, we can raise him to not be violent. Like I think that there's a huge narrative here as Damien, you know, he's specifically always, you know, at first he's just killing people and then he he thinks he's doing the right thing with beating up those guys in the police station and Batman and Robin, and he's rebuked for that and kind of 
uh, disciplined. And then he has to draw the line of like, I'm going to go beat up the Joker with his crowbar and get this kind of sick poetic justice. And then he's rebuked from that. And then he kills nets. And so you see Damien struggling in this run, like, well, when is it okay? Right. Because I saved your life there, but you say no killing, you know, and each time we're seeing Damien really struggle with the amount of violence that he's kind of bred into him. He's only a 10 year old kid. His mom is an assassin leader and his dad is a masked vigilante. Like both of them deal in violence. And yet you're telling me that there's like, there's a limit to what violence is allowed. Like, yeah, as a 10 year old. It challenges Batman's binary nature. Yeah. His code. Just a gray area for a kid to have to like figure out, okay, so then what is the limit, you know? Right. And I think that we're watching Damien, like this whole time, the Bat family is like trying to address like this. We love this kid because he's Bruce's kid, but he's also like kind of breaking every code that we were raised and trained to believe. And he's pretty close to the one who is like Batman's greatest failure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I just, I always, like, I love reading this book from the perspective of Damien as the growing main character of the story and as him coming to full maturation and uh, that just deep internal struggle that Damien has of, you know, he's kind of half good, half evil, and it, it's, it would be a hard spot to be in. And before we move to, like, one of the most poignant Damien scenes, I think, in the entire run, Roman, is there anything else we got to uh, tackle before we get to these last couple of pages here? Mm-hmm. I just I just love everything you were just saying, Justin. Because um, I love the last page, that very top panel. I love the way Burnham did that too, with the you know the Batman, at least the males of the family gathered around there in that yellow. There's the yellow Batman's yellow shield. They're standing oh, in, yeah, yeah, and and you know the the quote-unquote good robins tim and dick are behind batman but the the bad boy robins are uh, together and the next panel i love the the way he drew um drew jason in the background behind damien because jason kind of looks like he looks like he's like kind of going whoa no whoa back <laughs> off bruce and, and bruce is ignoring him and and telling damien the same thing i think he told jason todd once was like yeah you gotta quit you can't be you know this character my sidekick <laughs> right and you know jason knows specifically what it's like to be rejected by bruce and yeah. like now bruce is kind of in a way rejecting uh damien yeah you know something i just noticed at the top of that that panel again with the five of them mm-hmm. in the yellow circle we didn't see this happen but uh small fry the noose is hanging there it's been cut small fry's body is gone i wonder if that's gonna come up again later and in later issues yeah i wonder there's also like in the scenes of lumina lux and goat boy and batman talking to him like there's a coffin there um so like i wonder if this is kind of all staged around and like in the the blackout scenes where knights punching people there's a coffin there so i wonder if this is sort of all set up to have some coffins ready because goat boy is like supposed to be killing three people yeah it's like the ritual when that shot of Nightwing's glorious gooch and he's taking out Shrike and this two other dudes. There's a coffin in the, you know, I I understand that it's easy just to focus on Nightwing's gooch, but there's a coffin in that shot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Night, the night gooch. That's my superhero. (laughs) Another thing Burnham does. And I, I don't know if it's Burnham or Morrison, but it's just a super minor thing, but it's something I love. There's one panel when we see Alfred in the Batcave at the Batcomputer yeah. with his T. And I just love when 
artist draw the big bat computer screen with bat horns on it oh i didn't even uh, notice I, that I, yeah I just, there's probably no reason for it i'm not sure some writer because oh well that's got that's because it has to be that configuration for the wi-fi super bat <laughs> wi-fi or something but i just love the stupid bat screen bat computer my uh the thing i appreciated in that panel was a lot of comics just drew, you know draw a keyboard as a bunch of rectangles sitting together even the, the far keyboard behind offered is like that but chris burnham and you know i think this is the mark of the Frank Quietly school, which he, you know, credits to this uh, old newspaper comic he used to read. It's like the Dudleys or it's not Doonesbury, but it's a word kind of like that. Um, but every, everything has a life. Every character in the background has a life. Like you can look at it and wonder what they were doing before and after these things happen. So too, I feel like, you know, the fact that he drew keys, that Alfred is typing in keys that are three-dimensional, that they have volume to them. Like, it's that level of detail. It's like, you know, small, scribbly people in the background that I think a lot of artists just wouldn't even include. But he's like, nah, I'm going to make, you know, some wrinkly coat pant legs and, like, get in there. And, you know, it's that, that and this issue really ironing that home was what made me be like, all right, this issue seven years ago maybe want to buy a page let's fucking check out what's left i uh i think if Django is here he would point out that yes alfred is in fact typing in dvorak <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and you know on the opposite page of that when the one scene we see of a uh, freight train mm-hmm. taking somebody out so good so yeah he i don't even know what exactly it's really cool i don't know what exactly it's going on it looks like freight train is bashing this guy through the darkness of the background of the panel yeah he's just breaking he's so powerful he's breaking through panel borders i love oh, it i love oh, when you fucking awesome like kind of draw a meta awareness to panels being panels yeah so um, you know before we get out of here and check in with a couple of voicemails and emails that we've got this shot at the end after the jason todd reveal watching damien go like from exasperated talking with his hands angry to like drooling to two panels three panels later just the vulnerable sad hurt eyes of a child Mm. and i think to be able to visually convey that anger and hurt are these two intrinsically connected things and watch damien dissolve from anger into hurt is it was just so sad just like what does everyone know that i don't like I know. oh god yeah. that feeling behind the temper tantrum is just a sad vulnerable child you know it's like you know probably his most human moment yet it feels like for sure um my big rev- revelation was i didn't realize the prophecy that bruce had and is in at the end of time in volume two is the same and that he's trying to prevent with this run it's not about the like end of the world with Talia. He's trying to prevent Damien from becoming Batman. You know, that's the prophecy. The 666 future is the thing that he wants to prevent. I thought it was two separate prophecies, and that was just a one-off related to Dr. Hurt. But in fact, it's the same prophecy through the whole run, mm-hmm. which we got in RIP with Damien, 666. And then we're about to see it again. You know, there's a, always a reference to Damien becoming the evil. Right batman or or a batman who struggles like damien was and that's when i were like oh he's trying to prevent damien from going to the dark side essentially and that's why i was like oh that makes sense because this is date we're dealing with damien's inner darkness and trying to prevent him from doing this and so 
when he says that the world will be plunged into chaos, it's because of you. That's why he's firing Robin. And that's that prophecy is trying, you know, I was just like, Oh, there's prophecies. You, you guys know about prophecies. There, there was one in the past and now there's this one. I, in my mind, they were separate. And this issue, I was like, Oh wait, it's always just been the one same prophecy. And like, after, after he goes to the end of time and he comes back and he's talking with people are like, well, what'd you see is like, it's like a hazy dream anymore. But what I did see were two gravestones. And then the beginning of this run starts with two gravestones. So in my mind, what clicked to me this time is it feels like he's also fighting against the opening sequence of this second half of this run, which is these two gravestones. And he saw the two gravestones in the far future and so I think he's also trying to fight against the death of Damien and those those gravestones. Like for sure. Yeah, just fucking A. It's kind of like if Damien survives, he'll live to be something worse than what they're dealing with now. But you also can't just like sacrifice your kid for a better future. Exactly. You know? Bruce is in a lose lose spot, which train car situation. Ties into yeah, I, yeah. Um it ties into a message that I got from Andrew Carlson just a text one thoughts thoughts Thoughts. he said dude i am so excited for this next issue of batman in quarantine already going to reread 666 again tomorrow's issue was awesome which is the one we just talked about but i am pumped to hear you guys discuss the next one which is uh jerusalem right is that what that issue is called asylum jerusalem i think was the first one um but anyway yeah so the next issue is another issue in that prophecy world justin was just talking about i loved the preview for it at the end of four with just his head floating over a burning city and it says 666 i remember being like we're going back fuck yes (laughs) i love that fucking demonic version of gotham yeah oh god and and you know speaking to that like the prophecy and the vision all being linked you know this this shot the cover of the following issue is all these horrible people running towards him like everything has built the potential for that future throughout it right leviathan you know aerosol addiction that you can catch all of that stuff so um it's been in there guys we got a cool thing from chris buquette who sent me an email and he says here's a clip um in which i show you how to finally pronounce my very german name for you (laughs) buckeye t is how it anyway there's an audio thing here and he also said that he mentions uh his own podcast he's on so feel free to edit that out that's not how we roll here we're all doing podcasts everybody's got a podcast we're all working together thanks for being such an awesome part of this batman and quarantine family and contributing in the facebook group and sending us emails so uh, i haven't listened to this yet but i don't know what your podcast is about but i'm hugely supportive of it and any batman and quarantine listener let's see what he he talks about we should all go check that out as well unless it's like a hate group podcast or something which i don't think <laughs> i don't think that's the case though hello batman in quarantine this is chris buckite you were very close but the two h's always throw people off anyway <laughs> i was sad to think about the end of this podcast and so i decided to come up with a list of follow-ups you should do if you want to stick with morrison you could go for the invisibles i've never read it but i'd love to read along as you guys dissect it and then there's Doom Patrol, which I've just about finished his run on, and he explores so many different identity and gender issues. I'd love to hear you guys dissect all that. If you want to stick with Batman, you could do Scott Snyder's run or Tom King. I know you love, and his run's been a little up and down for me, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. And I know I could just listen to your other podcast, but I don't read any current comics because I have a three-year-old and I just don't have that kind of time. <laughs> 
I think the best choice for you, though, would be to read all of Chuck Dixon's work on the character. (laughs) (laughs) Although seriously, I'd love to hear you talk about Robin Year One. I think it's a really well-crafted book, and uh, Mm. I just love it. Uh, Jeff, if you just want to talk about Battle for the Cow, I'll (laughs) gladly do it. Uh, Anyway, I I just wanted to say thank you guys all for talking about Batman. Um, I I love hearing your guys' thoughts. I love hearing you talk about the character that I love. I actually have my own podcast that is a audio drama adaptation of Batman Year One. Uh, If you're interested, it's called Batman the Audio Series. Anyway, thank you, and I really appreciate uh, all you guys do. Chris, you gave me goosebumps. That was really sweet, and don't ever, I mean, you know, God, everyone, check that out. That sounds awesome. A radio drama of Batman Year One, Django. Django, mate. (laughs) <laughs> fucking love that chris that's really cool and it warms my heart um to it, hear you say is. those nice things it is that, that was for sure wonderful man. and i think i think he mentioned maybe mentioned the his podcast in one of the threads on the facebook page nice. but i i there's so much going on every day i yeah. haven't checked it out and you know i chris boy you've got a great voice you've got you a do. great Jeez, voice great chris. radio that's voice great yeah yeah, yeah. kind of sounded like batman i know yeah, you did. sound like a, like a kevin conroy uh <laughs> looking batman that meant a yeah, lot that's... to me um justin has bat or robin year one on his staff pick shelf at the comic yeah, shop i think that's a great series i think it's a small best. or a short form book like that might be a really good thing to do um for sure after we finish this but more than anything, those kind words are awesome. And, you know, we started doing this just to do it, to keep ourselves busy. And um, I can't guarantee we would have finished it if people, you know, hadn't seemed to latch onto it. So means the world to us. I'm also kind of confused about what's going to happen when it's all done. And I'm, I'll be sad to lose. Uh, we were actually in the shop, Justin and Django are talking about yesterday. He was like, guys, there is a Morrison book that we could do that's issue by issue. And Justin and I were like, Invisibles, like Animal Man. He, and then we guessed Doom Patrol. Um, which Justin has read all over most of, and you know, I have not. So, uh, I would love to have read the God, Flex Mentallo stuff. It would be fun. And I was just thinking, yeah, and then you know, we could work in Flex Mentallo into there too, of course. Oh, you, know, you have to. Oh. The book that bonded Jeff and Justin at the hip long ago. <laughs> For sure. One of my um, all time favorite books. But yeah, everyone, everyone check that out. Uh, Chris, um, I'll, yeah, today's a little bit crazy, but either on today or the next episode of the podcast, I'll put a link to your podcast in the description of this one. Sounds like it's also in the Facebook group, but yeah, everyone check that out. That is so yeah, cool. And I'm just awesome, man. incredibly supportive of people trying to, you know, make new art out in the world. I think it's kind of what brings we us need all it. together. We need it. Exactly. And then we've got a message from the, a wonderful star war, star wolf, star. Oh, fuck. The wonderful <laughs> star, <wolf>. star <laughs> the star wolf himself. Stalwart. No star wolf, Chris Murphy um hello quarantine star wolf here ain't matches cool <laughs> it's worth noting that in batman inc number three matches is wearing the same outfit he was wearing in his first appearance in batman 242 in 1972 <laughs> what i really wanted to mention is that roman's wish of a matches malone eel o'brien team up was very nearly realized in morrison's jla number 11 in oh that God. issue we get a whole page of matches tracking down eel and a scurvy bar and enlisting him for a mission all too brief but defo something for roman to check out scans of both batman 242 and jla 11 attached for your viewing pleasure <laughs> dig it muchacho oh man. man thank you it's you know it's amazing it's just that like you know to to have gotten chris's first email and then to just see him making jokes in these ones now or like the other chris who just sent us that voicemail um 
to just say things that can make us laugh. Yeah. Uh, like just anyway, it feels wonderful to know you folks and to be known by you folks. And uh, absolutely, seriously, bottom of the heart, uh, thank you for all of those things. We will definitely do something after this, Django. And I have talked a long time about doing a monthly issue by issue Watchmen. That one would probably be a lot slower. Watchmen is, you know, it's a holy tome and it's Django's favorite thing. And I haven't read it in ten or ten years at least. So um, almost too much to pick apart out of it. I know that, and I would I would be the passenger seat person on that one. So um, you know, because uh, I, I would be the the less informed Watchmen reader. So um, you know, me, I'm a control freak. I'd be more comfortable being the guy who spends three hours <laughs> reading it. So uh, at, at each issue, so. Um, well, again, thank you all for writing in. Thank you for being a part of issue episode 69. Nice. With all of us. Um, a little insight into just comic shop dumb. Uh, you know, we run a comic shop Tuesday. All the books come in to go on sale on Wednesday because of the winter weather uh, and COVID. Everything got delayed. So instead of books coming in on Tuesday, they're coming in today, Thursday. So Jeff is going to bolt down to the shop to meet Django, who's not on this podcast because he's already sorting those books so we can get them all filed and delivered to people only two days late it is not a dream job but <laughs> god but it fucking and yet love it. and yet yeah. it is yeah it is yeah. it really really is um you just yeah, can't me, be too precious and, with your schedule me and justin will be packing books probably later today and yep. tomorrow morning and justin as such is picking up a shift tomorrow and roman's gonna come in today probably and yeah um what a community. What a family. Comics, art, bring everybody together. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all uh, on next Thursday for issue number five, episode 70. As always, on behalf of Roman and Justin, I'm Jeff. We'll see you next week.